Hey, how you guys doing? Good. Hey, my daughter's getting, my oldest daughter's getting married today. Yeah, well, that's exciting, but what's going to really excite you is it's going to be a short sermon. Okay. Um, don't, 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 no, 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 don't clap. It may not be. I, I, I just thought I'd throw it out there. Hey, um, I want to talk about church today. Uh, in fact, for the next four or five weeks, I'm going to talk about church, and I hope I can just share with you my, my heart, my dream for the church uh, of Christ in, in our country especially. Um, I grew up in church. I, I, you know, the first week I was on the planet Earth, uh, my parents dragged, dra- dragged me to church, and I, I'm pretty sure I went 15 years without ever missing a Sunday. Um, it was a Pentecostal church, and I don't know if you've ever been in one of those or not, but um, it was a lot different than what we do here. Um, we, it was a lot of shouting and screaming and, and yelling, and, and we didn't have chandeliers. We were kind of poor, we, so you couldn't swing from chandeliers. Um, but they tried with fluorescent lights, and it was, it was kind of fun. Um, I used to do these things every now and then. I'll never ever forget her, this lady. I, I was taught to call her sister, uh, Sister Paul. That was her last name. And she would, right in the middle of one of my dad's sermons, she would jump up and start running around the church, like screaming and running. And, and I mean, it was really scary and interesting at the same time. And then some other people would start following her. And, and it was like, uh, what is going on? And, 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 you know, after a few years of watching Sister Paul do this, I was kind of getting used to it, but I never really understood it. And so one day I was like, hey, Dad, what, what is that? What's happening? Why are these people running around a church like this? And what's, who's, what's Sister Paul up to? And, and so he tried to explain it to me, which is really unexplainable. But he's like, well, it's like a Jericho march. That's what they called it. And I'm like, because I knew what happened to Jericho, and I'm like, what happens if it works? We're all going to die. You know, the walls fall down, and, and, and you know, it's, again, it's hard to explain. Um, we had church, man. We, I mean, it was, it was, it was really something. Um, my best friend was uh, the, the son of a Methodist pastor. And I went to his church one time. I had, you know, spent the night at his house, went to his church, and I'm like, Mike, what, where, where's, the, uh, where's the Jericho march? You guys, and he's like, what? So I took him to my church, and um, <laughs> he was like me, freaked out. He never came back. <laughs> um, but so through, through my whole, you know, 65 year, years on the earth, uh, I've been in church. I've been I've been part of a lot of different kinds of churches. I've started or helped to start about five churches. Um, I've been in Bible churches. I've been in uh, Pentecostal churches. I've been part of an Episcopal church, and uh, I've been I've, I've been in all kinds of environments. And I actually have a love for all of them. Um, never been in the snake handling churches. Uh, I don't know that I would like that. But but all the rest of them I've, I've kind of been part of. And um, 
the, 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 and let me just say this. In, somewhere early on in, the, in this journey I was on, I fell in love with Jesus more than, I, I don't even, I can't really describe it. I'd, I'd heard the story many times from many people, including my father and my grandfather and my grandmothers and my mom. And, and through, through some time and some years, it, I don't remember anybody saying, Greg, you need to give your life to Jesus. Um, you know, he'll forgive you of all your sins. And up to that point, the only thing I'd ever done was stolen some M&Ms from my sister. And, but I repented, you know, I, I never gave them back to her, but I, I she, you know, never mind. Um, but I, you know, I, I just fell in love with Jesus. And I really wanted to be part of Jesus changing the earth. One of the things that it took me a long time to understand was that there's a difference between the church of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And I, I've always been about church, and I had a, an eye toward the kingdom, which, as we learned last week, that, that the kingdom is life as God intended it, and we're supposed to pray, thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I've dreamed of that, but I've never seen it actually work. And what I'm coming to you with after all of these years of watching, being part of this, I want to tell you something that is tough and sad and yet should be something that catalyzes us to change. And that is that what we're doing is not working. And it hasn't been working for a long, long time. And it doesn't, I, it doesn't matter what kind of church you like over what other kind of church you like or don't like. It's not about the deep Bible teaching church or the Pentecostal or charismatic church or the you know, the, the church that's about reaching, you know, lost people, getting them to come in and, and be part of your, your thing. It's, it, it, I don't care which church you say is better or whatever, it isn't working. It's not working. In our country, as you know, we've talked about this many times, about 4 to 6% of the people in our country are Christ's followers. We haven't even kept up with the population growth in terms of our faith. 63% of people in this country will never, ever go to a church. And the church was given birth and created and announced by Jesus as the world-changing movement. You can read about it in Matthew 16, and, and, and Jesus talks about this thing being a force against evil, and nothing could stand up against it, and yet it's, it's not working. And uh, I, I think with the rest of the time that I have on earth, I'm going to be trying to figure that out as it relates to me and, and hopefully for many of you. 
There's a, there's a man who wrote an incredible book. His name's Rodney Stark. He's, um, I think he still holds this position as the professor of religion, chief of the religion studies at Baylor University. Uh, when he wrote this book, he wasn't a Christian. He, he, um, he wrote this book called The Rise of Christianity. I've talked to you about it before. And he wanted to find out about this huge growth of the church um, early in history. Uh, the, the, you know, after Jesus had died and then risen again, and, and the disciples and, and the few uh, believers, followers of Christ in Jerusalem were, were spread across the known world at that time because of persecution primarily, that it was always rumored that there was this explosion of Christianity throughout the earth. And Rodney Stark decided to write this book in an attempt to prove that that was not an accurate statement, that it just didn't happen, that there wasn't some kind of miraculous thing that, that took place, and then Christianity just spread all over the place. Now, it was evident that Christianity has been a force in the world and has, has continued to grow, but he was going to prove that it was just something that over time, it just, you know, word of mouth, whatever, and it wasn't nearly as miraculous as he thought. So he went about doing his research, and he started somewhere around 75 years after Jesus uh, was, was transported into heaven. And there were still the remnants of the people who had seen Jesus, but there was this whole new group of followers, and those are the people that he concentrated on. There's some interesting things uh, to note. First of all, um, they, uh, they didn't have a Bible. There was no Bible. And, and this was going on for three, four hundred years almost. There was no scripture. They hadn't written. They didn't have even a way to, 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 to make it. The, the scribes couldn't have kept up if they had to. So, so scripture took hundreds of years to, to come out and be put together. There was no Bible, and yet there was this apparent ex- exponential growth. Um, there wasn't any serious primary leadership. There was a lot of leadership, but it wasn't like like this. It was kind of like this. And, and so people were assuming and taking on roles of ministry and leadership without any kind of, you know, appointment from any other group. And yet the thing seemed to take off more and greater than anything anybody had ever seen. At the end of this research that Rodney Stark did, he came up with this realization, and it was the actual, it was this research that caused him to bow his knee to Christ and said, I want to be one of these people. And it was centered around two things that happened in Rome. There was a a big group of Christians who moved to Rome during the dispersion, during all of the persecution, and after they'd been there for a while, Rome was hit with the Black Plague. And all of the wealthy people, all of the Roman citizens who could, left the region. They just moved away. They wanted to get away from this place. The Christians moved in and took the sick and dying Romans 
and many times nursed them back to health while basically catching the black plague and dying themselves. Or they, they helped them die with dignity and love. They continued to, to nurture them, to feed them, to help them until the plague was over. A few years later, it came back. And the same exact thing happened. So that was the one, one of the big things that, that really changed the outlook of people toward Christianity. It was this, this love that was beyond imagination. The second thing that happened was actually very practical, and yet it had the same kind of heart. The Romans, I mean, you've got to think about this. This, this had to backfire on them, but... But as, there, as the, the women of Rome would become pregnant, they prayed to their gods that the babies would be boys because that would be the strength of Rome. And so if they did have a girl, they would do what they called uh, exposure. They would just put the baby outside on a street corner and leave it, and leave it exposed to the elements or the dogs or the animals or or baked in the sun, and, and it was a horrible, horrible thing that was happening. So you know what the Christians did? They went and they took them, and they took care of them, and they adopted them and made them their daughters, and they saved these children until one day the Romans realized, whoa, we got all these boys, and there's nobody for them to marry. It wasn't their brightest moment. But here's something that happened, and, and, you know, we would totally discourage this today in the church. This is being unequally yoked. But the Christians gave their daughters to the Romans for marriage. And many of the Romans became Christ followers because these young ladies were Christ followers, and they were the strength of the family, and they raised their children and led many of their husbands to Jesus Christ. And so that was the explosion of Christianity. That was the, the, the thing that Rodney Stark was so overwhelmed with, that he said, this kind of love comes from nowhere but God himself. It has to be God. And he became a Christian. And to this day, he talks about the impact of that action and that love being the catalyst that changed the world at that known time. Now, it wasn't until the, the, the uh, Roman Caesar, it was uh, Constantine, thought, wow, this is a big movement. This is, this is really cool. And so... We're going to take this and we're going to make it the religion of Rome. And because there was so much power with this and so many people, they, they found, you know, they, they put a, a person in charge. And that's where the whole mess of religion started. It was a great declaration of Jesus led by man-made rules. And here we are 1,600 years later or more, and in many cases, we're still living in that same aura of religion versus the kingdom of God. 
And in many ways, many, for many reasons, uh, that's why we're not winning today. Because it's about the four walls. It's about the, the way that things are done. It's, it's about being part of a group, not part of a movement. It's about church. We're more interested in building the church than we are about building the kingdom. And something needs to change. Now, all of that being said, I have huge excitement and hope for the local church. It's not that the church is bad. It's, it's not a, a mistake that Jesus made. It's just the way that we've dealt with it that's been the problem. And so, so I see these things shifting and changing in our country. And there are people across this country who are really beginning to make shifts and changes to bring Jesus to the world and not try to get them to come to our church. And, and so I, I'm really happy about that. That's what this whole series is about. It's, we're calling it Made for More, and, and it's the fact that we are made for more than what we're seeing. So there are some of you today who, like me, you've been in church for a long time. Maybe there was a time in your life when you were so fired up about Jesus and what he's doing and what was happening, and, and that's kind of gone away. And then there's some others of you who are relatively new to the faith. Um, in fact, uh, I love you people so much. There are so many of you who who think that I'm a great pastor, and it's because I'm the only one you've ever had. And as long as you don't listen to Francis Chan or somebody, you're going to be with me, you know. And but but you know, and and you're like, well, what could I ever do? And then there are some of you who have have so botched up your life and messed up things and. You failed, and, and, and you're like, well, what could I ever do? Look at me. And then we have all these situations and all these uh, feelings and thoughts, and, and we're just kind of going through motions. And we show up here, we do what we're supposed to do, then we go back out, and we do what we do all the time. Uh, and what, a, what an interesting way to live. It's just not, just not doing it for you or the kingdom. So uh, that's what this series is about. And I want to start, and, and you're not going to get any homework. I'm not going to give you anything here today to, you know, to take home the three things that you have to apply in order to make life. I, I want to sow some seeds in your head and in your heart that might change how you live. And, and so the stuff that you don't like, just forget about it, but take some stuff that might change your life. There was, a, there was this moment in Jesus' ministry about halfway through his, the three years of ministry that he had on earth. And he had his disciples, and he's walking around, and he's training them, discipling, teaching them what to do. And he has all these parables that he's telling, all these stories, you know, and, and, and they were, they're very interesting stories. They're, he just made up these stories to kind of communicate some thoughts. So one day, the disciples came up and asked, this is in Matthew 13, what's up with this story thing, Jesus? What are you doing? Why, why do you do this? Now, I want you to, this, this answer is so amazing when you think through this. So, so be with, stay with me here. He replied, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. 
In other words, these are guys of being somebody like me, where I grew up in this, and but one day I fell in love with Jesus, and I understand how it works, and I was so receptive to, to what God wanted to say. But he goes, not everybody has been given this gift. Not everyone feels like you do or thinks like you do. It hasn't been given to them. You know, there's an entire doctrine in Christianity that, that centers around that very thought. There are some people lucky enough to get it, good enough to get the message, figure it out. They're the lucky ones that are going to go to heaven. They're the ones that are going to make it. And then there are all the rest of the people. I, I think, anyway, don't get me going on that. Well, you weren't getting me going. I just did it myself. But I'm just saying. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there's no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. Now, that would be some of you in here where you haven't been so receptive, you haven't been so ready to hear. Um, Maybe you are now, maybe you weren't before. You meet a lot of people who are not receptive at all, right? Are they bad people? No. Jesus loves them. In fact, the rest of this passage is about that. He goes, but if there's no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories. To create readiness. To nudge the people toward receptive insight because in their present state they can stare till doomsday in other words he's saying that there are a lot of people who don't get it about 90 some percent of the people in our country they don't get it now many of those people have some receptivity they just need to be loved they need to be cared for they need the message of Jesus and and boom it'll take off then there's the big, vast majority of people who have zero receptivity toward the message. The church has so messed this up that nobody wants to hear from us. And that's not our best day. And so Jesus says, we need some stories. So that's what today is all about. You're the story. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk to you about three things that is required to have a good story. You know, one of my favorite people in all the world, as far as an author, is John Grisham. Um, I'm on this list. If, If John Grisham writes a book, I get dinged for... 20-some dollars, whatever the book's going to cost before it even comes out. And then one day, God just puts it on my Kindle. It's the coolest thing. And off I go. Don't ever buy me a John Grisham book because I've already bought it. It's already mine. And, and, and I love John Grisham. Why? Because he is an incredible author. And that's the first thing that's required to have a great story. You have to have a great author. There has to be a great author. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the author. 
He needs to be the author in our lives. He needs to write the story of our lives. He's the one that does this. Now, this is so important, and this may be the biggest thing that needs to change in your life, and it's this. You cannot be the author of your life if you want to experience the life as God intended for you to have. If you want to write your own story, if you're in charge, bummer, you have missed an incredible life. He's the author, which means you're not in control. Now, let me, let me give you a couple of thoughts about this. First of all, this is a very foundational idea. You know, when you, if you read a really good book, usually in the introduction of the first chapter, the author's taking time to set up, to give you the setting, right? The, the context. Here's, here are the players. Here's what's going on. Here's where this is written. Here's a, I'm reading a book right now called We Are the Lucky Ones. Somebody gave it to me for Christmas. And, and, and it's about this, this Polish family that actually lived through the, um, uh, the Holocaust. And it, it's, it's a historical fiction, which I absolutely love. But in the first chapter, you get the whole picture. Here's what's going on. Here's when it ends. Here's where it was. You know, you, you get all of that. It's, it's a wonderful, it, it's the way that you write. God has created us and he has created the setting, the context of our lives. So wherever you are right now, you need to understand that God's created you. And then second, he knows exactly where you are and what you're doing. And it's in that context that he wants to write the rest of the story. Some of you feel so disqualified because of where you are for whatever reason, whether it's something you did yourself or something that someone else did or circumstances in your life. And God knows exactly where you are and he wants to write the story from that setting in your life. He has the pen. Here's some other things. He, he doesn't show us the rest of the story. He doesn't give it away early on. There's no outline or blueprint. Instead, he calls us into the story. We, in, in church world, we call it calling. It's a calling. Now, in really religious environments, that's saved for a special group of people who we've called pastors. They have the calling. And I want to tell you that is so messed up. That is so Romanesque, where you got the dude and he's got the special word from God. And it's just not, it's a cool idea, actually, if you're me. It's just not biblical. It's not scripture. It's not, it's not what Jesus tried to teach us. This calling is for all of us. It's fluid. In most of life, we don't hear God say things. We don't see visions. We simply are to go about the master's business. You know, um, who was it? I guess it was Turner last week or week before was talking about Matthew 25. He talked about the, the, the master and the, and the three servants given the talents. And, 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 and that's how we're supposed to live our lives is operating in these things that God has given us, the things that we're good at, the things, the talents. That he, you know, as we go about life doing those things, 
then life begins to unfold in front of us. If we just go live for ourselves and do whatever it is we want to do and blow off with things God has given us, then we don't get there. But if you want to follow this calling, if you, if you want to, to, to be in the story that God wants to write, then every day becomes an adventure based on who you are and how he created you and the gifts that he has given to you. It begins with small steps of obedience and then it grows and life becomes an adventure and then your heart grows larger and then all of a sudden there's more satisfaction and fulfillment and, 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 and you just feel like life is beginning to happen even when you are suffering and hurting and things aren't going well and things are messed up in, in your life. To live out your calling... You first have to believe that God has a calling and a purpose for your life, and you need to actively engage in finding and developing that calling. We're going to spend weeks talking about some of this stuff, so you won't get it all today. Write this down, though, and uh, guys, put this on the screen. Trust deeply the author of your story. You're a story. You're, you're one of these people that Jesus will use to nudge others to be receptive to the great story. Here's the next thing. A redemptive story, your story, requires a hero. Requires a hero. And this is so cool if you're like me. And that is that you get to be the hero. God is the hero maker. You're the hero. Now, let me quickly say that this is not about fame. It's not about riches. It's not about you being cool. Being a hero, if you're a true hero, it's about others. When I think about those, those precious people going in and ministering to the Romans who are suffering from the Black Plague, those are heroes. Those are people that paid, paid the price of their lives. The, the, you know, the soldiers that have, have defended our nation and, and, you know, all the, I mean, it's always about others and many of them remain nameless. But what a way to live a great life. What a way to be in the story. Now, the Apostle Paul, he's the guy who wrote in the New Testament about the church. He's the church guy. Anything you want to know about church, Paul had the answer. And he wrote this book called the Book of Ephesians. And the Book of Ephesians is pretty much, it's six chapters, and it's pretty much all about the church, who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing. and, and, And it's got some incredible insights. And today I want to give you what I think is the best insight of all here. It's found in Ephesians 2.10. And, and here's what it says. For we are God's masterpiece. He's talking about you and me. We being you and me. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, I've been reading this for a long, long time, and I never got excited about it because I always felt like he was talking about church stuff. Like, like we're, we've been created to be this great person so we can do church stuff. I'd been in church for so long. I didn't want to do any more church stuff. I was in church under duress 
my father would kill me if I didn't go to church. And, and that has just carried on until I made my kids feel the same way. That's how it works. But that's not what he's talking about here. That's not what the apostle was saying. He, he's saying we're a masterpiece and he has created this amazing story for our lives. And we need to understand this so that we can do amazing things that he has created just for us to do. The word, this masterpiece word, comes from a, a Greek word. It's only used twice in the New Testament. Paul used it both times. The first time, it's this, it's, the word's called poemi. And, and it's, it's actually the word we get poem from. But it's like, this is Jesus' best writing, is you. It's the best story. The best thing he ever did is this masterpiece of a work, and it's you. The only other time that it was used was when he was describing creation, when God created the earth in all of its beauty. So that's how strong the word is. That's what Paul's trying to say here. You are a masterpiece. And God has some things that he wants you to do with who you are. That's part of the story. There's a guy by the name of Paul Sappho, and Sappho works for Stanford University as a forecaster. He's, he's basically an economic forecaster. And, and he wrote this article on the economies that, that the, the nation's been through since 1900. And, and we've basically been through three economies. The first one is um, the industrial in economy. And it lasted from 1900 to about 1952, 1953. For every economy, there's been a scarcity, and the scarcity is what drove the economy. So the industrial economy had a scarcity of stuff. Our nation, our people didn't have stuff. We didn't have, you know, my, my dad talks about the icebox. He still calls it the go to the icebox and get me something to drink, you know. Well, that was because there was no such thing as a refrigerator, they literally had a box that you put ice in, and it kept the milk from going rotten. It wasn't cold, but it just didn't rot. And, and, and so when refrigerators were invented, everybody had to have a refrigerator. When television came out, I mean, there was a time, folks, when there wasn't TV. And this TV was invented. And then it went to color, which my dad swore was from Satan. And then it was remote control. Well, that couldn't be good. That's, that's evil. And so we had black and white TV till I was like 16, you know, go up and flip the channels. And all my heathen friends had remote control with color TV. It was all, you know. But the, the economy was, was pushed by scarcity of stuff. In 1953, the economy changed. It went to a, a consumer economy. Now we had stuff, we just didn't have money to buy it. And so during that economy, the credit card was invented. And some of you are still living in the consumer economy, right? You just, you can't pay for it, so you use credit and hopefully pay for it later. And, 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 but it was about consumption. The scarcity there was desire. It was, I don't have what I really want. Today, there's a new economy, and this is called the creator economy. The creator economy is, is not, not a bad thing because it's people's, it's, 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 it's Ephesians 2 is what it is. 
People feel like they have something to give. They have someone to be. They want to be in something. They want to be, the scarcity is engagement. They're tired of being told what they have to do and how you have to fall in line. They want to be part of creating good stuff. It's the good, Sappho writes, it's the good life by what we create. Well, this is not new news to humanity because we read about it in Ephesians 2.10. The problem is that many of us don't see ourselves as a masterpiece. We don't envision ourselves as being a hero. But remember, you're not the author. You're not in charge of this good story. The next time you think you have an excuse of why God can't use you, consider that Noah was a drunkard, Abraham was too old, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a liar, Ruth was an unwanted immigrant, Joseph was abused, Moses was a murderer, Gideon was afraid, Rahab was a prostitute, David had an illicit affair, Elijah was suicidal, Isaiah preached naked. That will not happen here. Unless we get a really big podium. Job was bankrupt. John the Baptist ran around in loincloth and ate locusts. Peter was hot-tempered. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. And Lazarus was dead. So what do you have to worry about? Think about it. Un- yeah. <laughs> Even you have a chance. Yeah, give yourself a hand. Woo! Yeah. Unlikely masterpieces. Unlikely heroes. Write this down. This isn't in your notes. Put this down there. Take steps of faith toward your destiny. And we're going to come back to these things. So, you know, we'll talk about it later. You're not a hero because of who you are. You're a hero because of what you do. So you, you have to choose whether you're going to be a hero or not. And so that leads us to number three. A redemptive story requires a rescue. Requ- requires a rescue. If there's no rescue, there's no hero, okay? It's not something that's going to make your head swell. It involves others. As long as you live like you're the author of your life, and not the hero masterpiece that God's created. You're following the wrong script. And when you follow the wrong script, you have three major losses that occur in your life. First of all, you suffer a total loss of identity. You don't know who you are, and you can live a very long time and have no clue who you are. Why are you here? You know, what's your, what's your identity? What, who are you? What's the value of your life? How... You have these longings to be these things because Jesus put it inside of you and yet you're not getting there. And, and, and so when you see yourself as the author and not Jesus, when, when you're writing your own script, you lose your identity, your God identity. The second thing you lose is you suffer loss of purpose and mission. You don't even know why you're here. Uh, you, you, you have an incomplete life. You don't, there, there's no, you try to, what am I doing here? And what's the purpose? And why do I feel so frustrated? And why can't I get there? And what, what's not working? And, and why am I even here? 
I remember when things were better. I remember when this happened or that. But why am I here now? And, and so maybe you've got the pen of your life. The third thing is you suffer loss of the kingdom of God. If there's no hero, there's no rescue. And if there's no rescue, life is about you. There are people all around you who need to be rescued. And folks, you were made to be more. I, um, I made a, a new friend recently. And um, you guys should come on out because you're making a lot of noise. And just <laughs> go ahead and come on out. Uh, okay, Nate. <laughs> yeah, you, you're not trying to change people's lives and you're all back there changing wires and stuff. No. Let's hear it for the band because I just really dissed them. <laughs> Thank you. That's enough. Okay. So my friend, my friend, my, my new friend. Um, I have these guys, I've shared this with you before, I have these guys that I started meeting with on Saturday mornings and, and they're the coffee club guys for me, just people I met. I was coming back from bike ride one day and I, I went to this coffee shop and they were there and we got to be friends and and we're becoming really good friends. And one of these guys said, Greg, there's this guy you need to meet. And, and, and you just need to meet him. He's just somebody really special. And, and so his, the guy that they want to meet, his name is Tom. And, and so one of my guys that is in the coffee thing emailed Tom and emailed me and did a, you know, a virtual introduction. I know these buzzwords. And so we agreed to meet. And we'd set aside an hour of our time to, to talk. And I was so blown away by this guy's story and what he's doing. And so Tuesday, this past Tuesday, we met for dinner. And I spent three hours just pummeling him with questions. Now, <clears throat> this guy's not in our church world um, for a very sad reason. Uh, he he lived a part of his life where he just had such guilt that he just felt like he couldn't be part of the church anymore. And so he went out and forged a life outside of church. But here's how the story goes. He, he was a little kid. His, his father, Tom Sr., uh, was schizophrenic, had a third grade education, a lot of anger, um, just really messed up. His mother, who his father never married, but he didn't know that until just a couple years ago, and, and this guy's 40 years old. Um, his mother was um, an Italian woman who had a lot of health issues, died when Tom was quite young. Um, but he lived in this home environment that was filled with anger, hatred, things flying around you know one day dad was normal the next day he was demon from hell just constant back and forth stuff little Tommy my new friend was seven years old and he was upstairs in his bedroom Sunday morning and all the screamings going on down below and he um looked 
across the street. And as he tells the story, it's, it's so cool. It's, and he actually told this on a TED Talk. He saw this Methodist church, and it had a steeple. And when he couldn't take it anymore, he would look at the church, and he just made the assumption that the steeple was like a radio tower to God. And he would talk to God. Nobody ever told him about God or Jesus or anything. He just thought it was his way to get to God. One day, when the fight was so bad, he went across the street in his PJs, walked up the steps to that church, and knocked on the big red door. And this lady opened the door and peered out over her glasses at him. And he said, my name is Tommy. And she said, Tommy, we've been waiting for you. He didn't know her. I don't know if they knew him. She took him up to the upstairs of the church. She was a Sunday school teacher. And they had a, you know, they were having their Sunday school lesson and doing this stuff. And he didn't know what was going on. They had a piano in the corner. So he goes over and just sits on the piano bench. And he looks at the piano. And, and she went, went over and sat beside of him and said, Tommy, do you want to learn how to play the piano? And he goes, I love music. And long story short, she taught him how to play the piano. It so changed his life. His mother died not long after that. His father, you know, watched him the best he could. But Tommy had, oh gosh, you know, so much baggage, so much messed up stuff. So he was so hurt, filled with anger, all kinds of things. I mean, his life was a mess, but he could play the piano. And um, so this is where things start coming in line with me. We discovered that he went to the same school. I went to Shenandoah Conservatory of Music, and we had some of the same professors. You know, uh, they were ancient when he had them. I mean, we had a lot to talk about, and it was there that he studied music therapy, and he, he began to use his story and the music to go help other children like himself. I want to fast forward because it's a lot that took place, but Tom Schweitzer now heads up a a theater in um, the Hill School called A Place to Be. Some of you have heard of it, I'm sure, but Tom has created this theater made up of children. If you if you want to cry just because you want to sometimes, you need to pull this up on YouTube. They do theater with children who have cerebral palsy, autism, uh, brain injury. Oh my gosh. It, it, and hundreds and hundreds of people show up for their musicals. And it's gotten so big and, and so huge and so powerful. And, and, and he was just, you know, he always talks about Jesus because in that Sunday school, he met Jesus. And Jesus changed his life and Jesus gave him hope. And now he's giving Jesus to other people through music. And, what he's, what he, and he's not preaching anything. He's just telling a story and he's breaking down barriers. And, and, and now he, he's... He's doing funerals. And I'm like, what? 
And he goes, yeah, you know, people die. And somebody's got to do their funeral. I said, yeah, I know. And he goes, I love it. I said, well, that's weird. And he goes, no. He goes, he goes I, I don't know what to say. He goes, I tell people Jesus loves them. And I, I'm so thankful for the person. And, and he goes, I just help people get through their grief. And I said, well, how big are the funerals? He said, well, I just had one. It's like 700 people showed up. And, and he goes, I actually pulled in a preacher woman to help me because I was scared. And he goes, all I know is tell him Jesus loves him, and I, then I lose it. And so he brought in this lady, and, and she taught about Jesus in, in heaven. And, and they said, oh, yeah. And then I go to the hospital. He goes, last week, and there's just this little, one of my students is dying. And so I sat there, and I sang to the family while the, while the little kid passed away. I'm like, Tom, you're a pastor. He goes, oh, no, I'm not. Oh. So I read to him Ephesians 2.10. I said, you, dude, you're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. You, you, You are God's writing. And I just, I wanted to share that today because I want you to see who you could be. You're not going to be Tom. You're not going to be me. You're not going to be some other pastor. You're simply a masterpiece. The author is Jesus. The story is up to you. But there's a different way to live other than existing. Inside of each of us is the longing to be more. It was created, that longing was created by God. He longs for us, and He longs for us to be more. His story for you is much greater than the one you can think up for yourself. Um, I'm going to close. I have a wedding to get to. Um, I don't know where everybody is today in, in, in your life I, I hope you take all of this home with you and you think about it there's, there's nothing like I said there are no points and things to memorize you've got the message I want you to just let it reside in your heart maybe ask who's got the pen in my life what is my plan what am I going to do yeah, I, I'm, I'm 65 years old I have no intention of shutting down. I'm just getting to the point where I can create a mess, okay? And I'm going for it. And you should join me. Um, Actually, you should do your own mess. But there might be some of you here today who you've kept the pen your whole life. You've you've done the whole thing yourself. And I'm going to ask you to make a decision today to change that. So... For some of you, that means you're committing your life to Jesus for the first time. That's on this DC Connect card down at the bottom. I'm going to ask you to just, if that's you, you're going to commit your life to Christ. And, and I'm not talking about just getting a ticket to heaven. I'm talking about you're giving him your life. From now on, 
I'm going to do my best to let you write the story, Jesus, inside of me. And if that's you and, and, and you want to start that, check that today. If you want to renew that commitment, if there was a time in your life when you're like, okay, I got this, I, this is who I want to be, and then you just went off and wrote your own story, which happens to many of us, myself included, I want you to check that box. But I want this to be a commitment, not to me, not to the church, but to Jesus. Okay, Lord, I don't have all the pieces of this figured out, but I don't want to live any other way but having you in charge. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that in our hearts and lives, you would infect us with the calling that you have placed on our lives so that we could be a hero to those who need us most. To this world who will never come to our church, who will never buy into our religious ideals, and yet are waiting for us to come and love them and care for them and bring them the story that would change their lives and that they would see their calling in this great story as well. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.